Newton nearly lost an arm in the lobby of Commons, for he moved left towards Lords, as Roger Comstock, the Marquis of Ravenscar, who had possession of the arm, moved right towards Westminster Hall. We are summoned by Lords, Ravenscar explained, re-socketing Newton's shoulder joint and trying it with a wiggle, but not two Lords. Dodging around a few bends and negotiating diverse stair flights, they came into the cleft between the two plank law courts and entered the great hall again, just as devoid of Vikings and strewn with inappropriate modern-day Englishmen as ever. A man in quasi-genteel clothes browsed a bookshop to let all the world know he was literate. A straw projected from his shoe as a signal to barristers that he would give false testimony in exchange for money. A stirring in the air created a serial heaving down rows of sun-faded, smoke-stained, bullet-holed banners, the colours of French regiments that had been taken by Marlborough at Blenheim and other places. These had been hung on the walls to add a bit of colour and had been promptly forgotten. A fair bit of noise was coming into the north end of the hall from the new palace yard. The man who'd received the whipping there earlier had been left in the pillory, and a few score common Londoners had gathered in his sight to fling handfuls of mud and horse manure at his face in hopes that they might induce suffocation. This sort of thing was common enough in London that most persons could will themselves not to see it. Ravenscar, uncharacteristically, was gazing directly at the scene. His eyes were too old and too far away to resolve the details, but he knew what it was. "'Ah, fortunate man,' he said wistfully. "'If only I could trade places with him for the next hour.' Newton straightened up and prudently slowed down. He glanced up and around as if wondering whether any of the overlooming angels had heard. "'Where are we going, my lord?' "'Star Chamber.' Ravenscar announced, simultaneously tightening his grip on Newton's arm, lest these fell words cause the eminent natural philosopher to spin away and make a break for it. Sir Isaac did no such thing, but he was startled. He had expected that Roger Comstock would name one of the buildings of the Exchequer, which in recent decades had advanced far and on a broad front from the hall's northeast corner, so that they nearly filled the space between it and the river. Star Chamber on the other hand, was small and ancient. Kings of England had used to meet there with their privy councils. Who has summoned us? Newton asked. As if the answer were self-evident, Roger said, The ill! Saying out loud this mysterious epithet seemed to bring his concentration back. We are only seconds away from the place. We could get more time by walking slowly, but I wish to stride into the place enthusiastically. The importance of this cannot be overstated. You must therefore listen carefully, Sir Isaac, as I'll only have time to say this once. It seems, Roger continued, that I have only been given leave to distract myself with longitude, so that my honourable lord, Henry St. John, Viscount Bolingbroke, could prepare some sort of poppet show. The invitation was sprung upon me while you were testifying. I am sure Bolingbroke would fainer have tied it round an arrow and shot it into my stomach. But such proceedings, though frequently seen in Lords, are still frowned upon in Commons. You, Sir Isaac, have been given a backstage pass to the puppet show, which makes me suspect that you shall be called upon to play the lead role. Sir Isaac Newton now became quiet and still, which was his customary way of showing rage.
It is an affront. I came here to discourse of the longitude. Now you say I am caught up in an ambuscade? I beg of you, Sir Isaac, be anything but affronted, for it is when men become old and important and peevish over the odd ambuscade that they become most vulnerable to just such tactics. Be baffled, unconcerned, gay, what would be best of all, sporting about it.